1: Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson.
2: It is Tuesday, August the 3rd, 2021. It's the Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson, your host. Very happy to have you all along. Every weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, And around the clock, on demand, for free on the podcast, GuyBensonShow.com is our website. Everything you need about the show right there, GuyBensonShow.com. Here's who we've got later on the program. Congressman Chip Roy will be here this hour to talk about immigration. Some astounding numbers coming from the southern border. If you thought June was bad on the border crisis, July got worse. I thought it was supposed to cool off because the weather was heating up remember the seasonal excuse from team biden that has been pulverized by reality congressman roy who represents a district right near where i'm sitting he will join us by phone this hour and yes i am still in texas having tested positive for covid 19 i am just isolating until i can head home we addressed that on the show yesterday at length and if you missed it the podcast is your friend you can go back and listen to all the details there. I'm feeling fine. Feeling fine, went for a run, planning on going for another one later on. It's just a matter of waiting for the test to turn up negative. But I appreciate all of you who have reached out and the well wishes. Again, I'm, I'm doing well. And I'm grateful that I'm vaccinated. And it's been a very, very mild experience. Also on the show today, in the next hour, Janice Dean. She will react to the biggest news story of the day involving the governor of New York. We will open with all of that sound analysis coming up here in just a second. But reaction in the next hour from Janice Dean, who, of course, has been following the trials and travails of Andrew Cuomo closer than almost anyone, having lost two of her loved ones, her in-laws, to COVID in New York nursing homes. Statistics that were manipulated and suppressed By Governor Cuomo, although today what he's in trouble for is sexual harassment and inappropriate touching and unwanted advances against subordinates. We'll get to that and to Janice. In our final hour, Carol Markowitz will be here from the New York Post. She's got a column that has really gone everywhere about masking children and schools and just calling out some of the insanity. And the insanity deepened today. I saw the director of NIH went on CNN and said, yes, even vaccinated parents, adults, parents, if they have young children in their households who are not vaccinated, kids, the parents should wear masks in their homes. It's it's wild. But this is what they're telling us. We'll get reaction on those and related issues from Carol in our final hour, the happy hour, just after 5 p.m. Eastern. Let's bring you a Fox News alert and some stats. Coronavirus cases, now 35.1 million across the country, and I'm one of them, as we revealed yesterday. A breakthrough case as a fully vaccinated person, very mild, kind of a piece of cake compared to what many other people have gone through. I'm grateful for that. I'm not sure if I technically count as one of the 35.1 million official cases, because I've told people, but I'm, I'm not sure it's been officially logged anywhere. So that's sort of interesting. But the case count continues to grow. We are in the middle of this Delta outbreak, this wave of a very contagious form of COVID. And as we've heard from doctor after doctor, month after month on this show, The best way to protect yourself from bad outcomes, hospitalization, death, number one is the vaccine, and it's not even close. The death toll, tragically in this country from COVID, now 613,436. And when you look at those current hospitalizations and the new deaths, they are 99% unvaccinated people. The Dow is up 250 points right now. Trading at 35086 We are less than an hour away from the closing bell. Let's begin, though, with our top story. A potential nail in the political coffin of New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. We've talked about his various scandals many times on this program. We mentioned recently how the federal government, the Biden administration, the DOJ, decided to drop... The entire probe into the nursing home deaths issue, not just in New York, but around the country. A lot of people were upset about that, disappointed by that. Some people were wondering were politics perhaps involved in driving that decision? We don't know. We also knew that there was this ongoing impeachment investigation from legislators up in Albany, but that's a Democratic town run by Democrats, many of whom have been allies with Governor Cuomo, notwithstanding some of their statements, oh, we're so disappointed, oh, he should resign. He didn't. They've been dragging their feet on their impeachment proceedings. And the big one that we were waiting for was the attorney general in the state, a Democrat, Cuomo's own attorney general, Letitia James. She was reportedly doing an in-depth review of a number of these issues, including the allegations of 11 women against Governor Cuomo. He had denied any wrongdoing. You had a bunch of Democrats saying, Well, we have to see what she finds. President Biden, for example, had said, Well, you know, let's let's wait and see what the AG discovers in New York. And if the women's allegations are corroborated, then Cuomo must go. Well, what did she find on this front? Cut eighteen earlier today, Leticia James in New York.
3: The independent investigation has concluded. That Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women, and in doing so violated federal and state law. Specifically, the investigation found that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed current and former New York state employees by engaging in unwelcome and non-consensual touching and making numerous offensive comments of a suggestive and sexual nature that created a hostile work environment.
2: And they also detailed retaliation. I mean, it's all the things that the Me Too movement has said. We cannot allow this to continue. Time's up. And you know who fully agreed with that? Let me read you this. Quote, there should be a zero tolerance policy when it comes to sexual harassment and must send a clear message that this behavior is not tolerated. That was Governor Andrew Cuomo. May 2013 here's another one a few years later January 2018 our challenge in government is to turn society's revulsion into reform there must be zero tolerance for sexual harassment in any workplace and we can and will end the secrecy and coercive practices that have enabled harassment for far too long Oh, fascinating governor and he is now accused of, and there's a, an, an independent investigation that says the accusations are well-founded. There's contemporaneous evidence. They say that evidence is going to be made public. I know the report is now out. These women were found to be credible, as were their accusations. With corroboration in a number of cases. The toxic environment was part of it. The retaliation. The efforts to cover up in silence. It sounds like secrecy and coercive practices, to borrow that exact phrase from Andrew Cuomo, who talked about a zero-tolerance policy. These are 11 women, nine of whom worked for the state or were subordinates. So that's another level of inappropriate and misconduct. And in fact, violations of state and federal law, as you heard there from the Attorney General of New York. Now, she made clear this was a civil investigation. There are not criminal... Charges coming. She said, Our work here is done. And when asked about next steps, she basically said, Well, that's going to be up to effectively legislators in Albany and potentially voters. One of the investigators, so they had these veterans who came in independently to run this investigation. One is named June Kim. He detailed some of what was found in the probe, cut 19. We find that the governor on numerous occasions engaged in conduct that constitutes unlawful sex-based harassment. Specifically, we find that the governor sexually harassed a number of current and former New York State employees. He did so by, among other things, engaging in unwelcome, and non-consensual touching, and also repeatedly making comments of a sexualized or gender-based nature. Anne Clark was the other investigator. She added some additional details about one particular incident in Cut 25.
4: One current employee, who we identify as Executive Assistant Number 1, endured repeated physical violations. On November Sixteenth, 2020, in the Executive Mansion the governor hugged executive assistant number one and reached under her blouse to grab
5: her breast.
2: So there you have that. These are not just women telling their stories to newspapers. These are not Republicans trying to score political points. There are multiple women with a serious investigation run out of the Democratic AG office in New York that said yes These are real. These things happened, and there's corroboration. Governor Cuomo was obviously ready for this to all come out. His team had been questioning the validity and the motives of Letitia James and her team in the days leading up to this. So as I speculated on the air, they might see the writing on the wall, so they were preemptively trying to kind of disqualify or muddy up their reputation of the people who were going to deliver some damaging information, Cuomo also had a pre-prepared video of himself that he played in rebuttal, which included this very strange montage of him touching people's faces and giving them little kisses. Like, I do this stuff all the time, it's not inappropriate, but there were no photographs of him grabbing butts or breasts or retaliating against subordinates or asking people about cheating on their spouses and other very intimate sexual questions. That didn't make it into the video, strangely. And the video had some pretty strong sociopathic vibes. He, of course, is denying everything. He's refusing to resign. And here's what he says, sort of the bottom line in Cut 27.
1: I want you to know directly from me that I never touched anyone inappropriately or made inappropriate sexual advances. I am 63 years old. I've lived my entire adult life in public view. That is just not who I am. And that's not who I have ever been.
2: Well, except 11 women say otherwise. 11. And there was an investigation done independently from the attorney general in your state who found that they were credible... And there is corroboration. So maybe that is who you are. So this is not who I am. Actually, there are stories going back years about how vindictive and nasty and abusive he can be. How he exacts revenge and likes inflicting pain on people who cross him. That's a part of this scandal, this piece of the scandal as well. I want you to know directly from me, here's the thing. This man lies constantly. He lies constantly about anything that reflects poorly on him. And we know this going back to the totally shameless response that he continues to give on, in my view, an even bigger scandal. This is serious. The bigger scandal is the nursing homes. We'll get into some of that here in the next segment. His credibility is shot. For him to look in the camera and say... Hear it from me. I want you to know directly. Just people don't believe him. If he didn't have this type of reputation, if he didn't lie constantly about everything, then his protestations might hold more weight. But they don't. I mean, he went through, it was amazing, his response video today. He was talking about a loved one, someone in his family who had survived sexual assault, almost using that example as like a human shield? Like, no, I understand how bad this stuff is. I could never, because look, I know someone who was sexually assaulted. He suggested that the women, I guess all of them, this is the implication, they're all lying about him, that they're dishonoring true victims, even though the independent investigation found that they are true victims. He also had the gall to rail against sexist double standards against women (laughs) in the context of this ridiculous denial. And then he wrapped things up, I kid you not, with a victory lap on COVID. Like this self-congratulatory victory lap, this other delusion that he's been living and the source of so many other lies and a very lucrative book deal. What about that stuff? Did that come up today at all? It did not. We have some insight into that. We'll get to it as soon as we come back. It's a bad day for Andrew Cuomo, which probably means it's a good day for New York. It's the Guy Benson Show, live from Texas. We'll be right back.
1: Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it
1: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of the Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: I'm Guy Benson. We are back here on the program. Thanks for listening. So at today's press conference with Leticia James and her team of investigators, not good for Andrew Cuomo. He had his pre-packaged video, including the very weird highlight reel of his affectionate grabbing and kissing. That was a choice that was made. I think he is in real trouble. Whether it's going to be an impeachment or the voters of New York when the polling not looking great for him already, I'm not saying over and that he's done, but it's not a good day for him. Well-deserved on his part. Now, they did not bring up the nursing home scandal, the manipulation and hiding and suppressing of data, the undercounting not just of nursing home deaths, but overall COVID deaths in New York, the special treatment for tests for coronavirus for his brother and other connected people, the allegations about using state resources to promote and secure a $5 million book deal and then writing that book, the whole premise of which was how great he was in COVID as a leader, while they were suppressing information that cut against that thesis, withholding it from various investigators for political reasons, threats against whistleblowers and critics. That stuff did not come up today. And the AG suggests that there are other elements of an investigation still active, on the book, for example. And that whole mess. And to me, we cannot lose sight of that. We never will here. We'll talk with Janice Dean later about that side of the scandal. I will say this. Earlier, just minutes ago at the White House, Jen Psaki was not going to comment on this. Instead, waiting, she said, for the president to make some comments later this afternoon. So here's my prediction. I think Joe Biden is going to call for the resignation of Andrew Cuomo in the next hour. I think that they are in a corner. They see where this is headed. And I think Biden will have no choice and has decided this is what he's going to do. And Saki didn't want to get out in front of that. I think that's what's going to happen.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. But,
2: but I remind you of this. Even as big indications on the nursing home scandal had already come out last summer, Biden featured Andrew Cuomo in prime time at his convention on COVID. Never forget that. from Austin, Texas. It's the Guy Benson Show. I'm isolating here until I test negative. I've got a breakthrough case of coronavirus, but I'm feeling fine, and I'm happy to be here with you on the air. My next guest, first here on the program today, appropriately represents a district not too far from where I sit. Congressman Chip Roy from Texas 21 joins me now. Congressman, great to have you back here.
6: Hey, great to be on, Guy. Are you in downtown Austin, or are you
2: out? I I am. I'm in downtown Austin.
6: Well, I represent downtown Austin and South Austin, so there's a good chance I represent where you are. It's good to have you in the area. I'll
2: I'll I'll email you after the show about which hotel I'm in. That could actually determine whether I'm in your district or not. Uh, But that's fantastic. It's great to have you here. I want to talk about immigration, because I've been following your tweets (laughs) on this, and I have to say... It's taking a lot to shock me at this point in terms of the border crisis and the failures down there of the Biden administration. But the numbers that you have revealed, preliminary July border numbers, they are astounding because we saw just steady growth month over month. You know, 180, 185,000 arrests at the southern border, not counting tens of thousands of gotaways. That was in May. That was in June. June. Now that we are in early August, the preliminary July numbers are in, and the encounters are now north of 200,000, 205,029 known gotaways. So detected illegal crossings that, you know, the manpower, the resources are not available to go and stop that person. The known gotaways in the month of July alone, 37,400. We're up to 1.3 million in the fiscal year encounters at the border. I mean, this is an extraordinary number, the largest monthly number since 2000. And, Congressman, I remember just a few weeks ago when the president said, oh, this is just seasonal, and when it gets hot, it's going to slow down. The opposite has happened, and yet the administration continues to refuse to even call this a crisis I don't know what else could be demonstrated or shown to convince them at this point.
6: Well, Guy, you're exactly right. And and those numbers, uh, in fact, I heard earlier today that I think 210,000 is where it's probably settling out. Uh, I had some conversations with some of the guys. You really know what's going on. Mark Morgan, the former head of Border Patrol under Trump, Tom Homan, the former head of ICE. And they are actually beside themselves. They've seen a lot of bad things. They've seen a lot of big numbers and they can't for the life of them understand why this is not a bigger deal. Uh, you know, if you go back and you remember a couple of years ago when AOC and everybody was running down and screaming kids in cages, which was a lie uh, and the drinking out of toilets allegation, which was a lie and now they're nowhere to be found when you have 7,000 immigrants in facilities that are designed to hold about six or 700. You have 100 degree heat You have cartels that we know are abusing these immigrants uh, in whatever numbers. I mean, we don't know for sure. I mean, we make up numbers based on what NGOs tell us. But we know for a fact at least a little girl is going to be put into the sex trafficking trade out of this large group of people that you see coming in in hordes under the bridge in McAllen. Then you find out that you've got massive amounts of fentanyl, 8,500 pounds of fentanyl, that has been actually intercepted. And then I have leftists say, oh, they're doing their job yeah, but when we see those kind of numbers, the experts know that that much more is coming in, especially when it's unguarded. And the fact that we know is that in Texas, last year we encountered DPS, our Texas you know, Department of Public Safety, our, our, our statewide uh, law enforcement. They intercepted about 10 pounds of fentanyl. this year they've already intercepted about 90 to 100 pounds of fentanyl. That means it's getting into our communities in Texas, and we now see increased deaths as you know. Nate nationwide 92,000 deaths. We could go on and on. The crisis is unbelievable, guy. It is so much worse than we even know, than even I can tell and convey to you. People in Texas are, they're over it. They're done. And that's, that's the, the mindset of people here. You talk to people when you're in Texas, you'll see.
2: I saw an Associated Press report. This was yesterday. According to U.S. officials, the number of unaccompanied children encountered by border authorities in the month of July likely, quote, hit an all-time high. The most unaccompanied minors encountered at the border in one month ever was last month, the month of July, when it was supposed to be too hot out. It was going to be seasonal. It was going to slow down. That's not the case. And you're right. There were anguished photo shoots and preening press releases and press avails. I remember when a certain senator who wanted to be president on the Judiciary Committee, she came down to the border Kamala Harris was her name and she famously was waving at the children she had binoculars and she went to the press and she said these are crimes against humanity being committed by the United States government and here we have the largest surge of unaccompanied minors in a single month ever we believe last month and then you add this this is from NBC News audio this is horrible. Audio from a government shelter for unaccompanied children in Texas reveals allegations of sexual misconduct by staff towards these minors. A lot of these minors are at least subject to various forms of abuse on their way to the United States with these extremely disreputable characters in the Coyotes. This is a horrible thing for children. It is extremely dangerous for them. If we have predators infiltrating into these facilities to watch after the kids, that is an unbelievable dereliction. And any policy and rhetoric that encourages this type of massive wave to continue is absolutely inhumane. And yet this is not A front burner issue for the national media and the Democrats who were beating the drum about the humanitarian crisis and how rotten this was under the previous administration, even though the Trump administration really got their arms around the problem to a large extent, those voices are conspicuously either muted or totally silent on this stuff. And the only explanation that I can think of is politics, period.
6: Yeah, that's, that's completely correct, and I, and I wish it weren't, right? I mean, like, I, I can be cynical, you know, we work in around this profession, you you and talk radio, I and public office, and you can get cynical, and understandably so, uh, but I've got friends on the other side of the aisle, as you do, and I I've, there are areas that I'm happy to work across the aisle. Uh, my friend Dean Phillips and I on PPP last year, finding ways to, you know, agree, you know Abigail Spamberger and I have a bill to, you know, require us to have blind trust in Congress. I mean, a lot of things you can work on. Like, I have no... No answer for what we're seeing right now other than absolute. Uh Crass politics by my Democratic colleagues who refuse to acknowledge what's actually happening at the border. And you just outlined, I don't need to explain how um, horrible the situation is for migrants. I can only expound on that with stash houses and the extent to which now cartels and their fingers are reaching up into the United States with criminal enterprise moving human beings for profit. And it's just, it, it, you can't even describe how bad that is. But I, I went back, I went to the fentanyl earlier because. This is now touching our communities and Americans as well in ways, this isn't just arguing about Mexican laborers as we were, say, 15 or 20 years ago, and about what that might mean for our, you know, welfare state, right? I mean, that's a debate. This is a direct attack with the empowerment of cartels on our well-being, moving dangerous fentanyl into our communities while migrants get abused. Those are the facts. They are relatively undeniable, yet Democrats refuse to do anything about it it and let me just say title 42 joe biden wants somebody to applause or something because yesterday he announced he's not going to reverse application of Title 42. But that's not the whole story, guy. They had already reversed the application of Title 42 for unaccompanied right. alien children. It was already being used to move family units and children into our country. It was only turning away about half of the migrants. That's why there's a great big neon sign right now at our border encouraging the whole world to come to our border. So he wants to be uh, applauded for only burning half the house down? I mean, it's absurd.
2: You know, We hear from this administration the rhetoric. I mean, they won't call it a crisis, laughable, right? They say that the border is secure and closed, risible. I mean, we talk about tens of thousands of known gotaway illegal immigrants entering the country every month. I mean, it's a huge, huge number. We just saw, what was it, last week, 50,000 illegal immigrants just released by our authorities into the interior of the country, not even with a court date, just like, please show up at some point to an ICE station. I mean, that's crazy to call the border secure or close. I think most people see that as a joke, but that's their official line. We've heard blaming of the previous administration, although this is really caused by Trump. That's not true. They were able to strike deals with the northern triangle countries and with mexico that really alleviated the problem and the illegal immigrants themselves are telling us that they're coming because they feel like they can stay under biden then we got the seasonal excuse that one has been completely blown up by what we've seen on the ground and that brings me to congressman root causes this was another talking point that we heard over and over again in which the vice president is especially invested she's supposedly in charge of this problem (laughs) it's you know bang up job so far she went to guatemala if I recall correctly, recently. And this was part of the root causes. The administration was going to try to help fix corruption and other problems on the ground in other countries to disincentivize people from leaving. I think that's a very strange way of trying to solve a crisis that involves people coming from dozens of countries around the world by you know more than a million this fiscal year alone, when the government could simply enforce their own sovereignty. They have chosen not to do that in a serious way But just taking them at their word that they really feel like the root cause thing is a realistic policy solution. The administration just announced a few days ago that they're cutting off the ties with Guatemala on this cooperation because they aren't satisfied with the progress. So I feel like even the root cause charade has fallen apart as well. What are they left with?
6: Well, there's not much, and I mean, I might give you another uh, example of how bad it is and then answer your question. Uh, I talked about it last night, but the sources I have, and I haven't been able to confirm this up the chain officially, tell me that Border Patrol agents are now basically being told from up above to basically back off of enforcement uh, along the border and just focus all their time on processing. And that just tells you how bad it really is. And then you want to talk about the root cause. This was so laughable, right? You and I could sit here, and we should do a whole conversation, podcast, roundtable, whatever you want, about the actual root causes, yes, about making sure Central America has strong economy, Mexico has strong economy, that we encourage the rule of law so that we don't have this pressure valve. I agree with that. All of us do. We should do more. I don't know what Biden's doing on that front, by the way. They should do something on that front. But the, the pressure valve it, right now is you're going to the border and you're saying, come on in and claim asylum. And we're only going to turn you away, effectively, if we have to. And we're really going to find every which way possible to let you get into the country. As long as you say that, they will come. And that is the that, that that is bad for migrants, bad for us. It empowers cartels, and it's bad for Guatemala, It's bad for Honduras, bad for El Salvador. Ask their uh, public officials, not of all of whom you know. Some of them are corrupt. I know all that. But I had the, the first lady of I don't remember whether it was Guatemala or Honduras came to America last year and said this is killing our country. Because we've got all of these people fleeing and leaving. Now, yeah, I can tell them, fix your country, but that's, that's just preaching. we got to do something, and the Biden administration is doing literally nothing. They're doing nothing in Guatemala, doing nothing in Honduras, El Salvador, but they're doing nothing here either. And they're doing nothing, by the way, to knock the knees out from under the cartels who are getting enriched, taking more power in Mexico. And now they're forming a true coalition along our southern border, along the Rio Grande. And you know what? Just this morning, I had a press conference in Austin with the police department and several of my colleagues. Two burned bodies in Austin, consistent with the way cartels act. We believe there's now increased cartel activity in the United States. More to come on that when we go dive into it.
2: Congressman Chip Roy, shifting gears here a little bit. We only have a few minutes left in our time together. I want to talk about the pandemic. I know you were very vocal about the renewed mask mandate, not just the CDC guidance for vaccinated people, but in the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi defending it, calling critics like Kevin McCarthy morons. She's now been photographed at least twice not covering her face while indoors at the Capitol. Maybe she and Mayor Bowser are trading tips on how to be you know the bigger hypocrite here but as we look at some of these requirements that are either being again forced upon people or at least recommended i'm still at a slight loss from a clip i watched earlier from cnn where the director of nih said that vaccinated parents with young children at home who are not vaccinated the kids the parents should be wearing masks in their own homes and i i I wonder what you think of that and what you make of that in terms of a a public health policy pronouncement.
6: Well, it's absolutely absurd, and I think it indicates everything that is wrong with the current conversation on this on this area and respect to policy. Guy, I think you and I have talked about this before. Um, I I am pro vaccine. My dad had polio, guy. He lived his whole life with his legs beat to hell because he lived through that terrible disease. I'm so we are so blessed that our children and that ourselves, we've been able to take a vaccine so that we don't have to worry about polio. We are blessed that 190 million Americans have been able to get vaccinated for this virus. And if you take into account the 190 million, plus the fact the CDC estimates about one third of Americans have had the virus, that's a low end uh, you know, estimate, 80% of 18 and up Americans have some sort of immunity. Children, the numbers of deaths and the number of people hospitalized for 18 and unders is less than or equivalent to flu. The the, the CDC and and NIH and these power brokers and Nancy Pelosi, they're all saying and and striking fear in Americans. It's absurd and it's causing people, I think, to kind of rebel a bit in ways that actually the
2: goal. that's right. And you lose confidence. And when you've got some government bureaucrat telling you to wear a mask inside your house, your four-year-old. I mean, people are going to say, that is crazy. Screw you. And then they might not listen to other guidance, which is more important. For example, hey, maybe go get vaccinated. That is a source of frustration. Congressman, we've got to leave it there for now. Always appreciate having you here on the show. Chip Roy of Texas. I'm either close to or inside your district here in Texas. Great to be in Texas, no matter the circumstance. And we appreciate you joining us.
6: God bless, Guy. Have a good time while you're here, and uh, let's visit soon.
2: Thanks, Congressman. And with that, we'll step aside and be right back.
1: The Guy Benson Show. More next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: I'm Guy Benson. We are back on The Guy Benson Show from Austin, Texas, speaking there with Congressman Chip Roy. And we open the show with the news today about this investigation and at least part of the results on the sexual harassment side of things involving New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. And it's, they, they basically nailed him to the wall on this stuff. But he's defiant. He's saying he's not going anywhere. As I predicted, I think the president, Joe Biden, is going to throw him under the bus coming up when he speaks in the next hour. That's my guess, based on a few of these tea leaves that I've been reading. And a lot of other prominent Democrats are doing the same, although many of them called for him to resign months ago. And he said no, and he just keeps going. It might be up to the legislature in Albany or the people of New York, voters to get rid of this guy, because I think he wants to cling to power with his fingernails as long as he possibly can. One of his, what, nine eleven accusers, who's now been backed up by this independent investigation, is scheduled to appear on CBS News. So the drumbeat's going to get louder for Cuomo. What does Janice Dean think of all of this? She joins us with full reaction, unfiltered, straight ahead, next hour of The Guy Benson Show, coming up. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
1: Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show.
2: Our middle hour of three underway here on the Guy Benson Show on this Tuesday. Hello, I'm Guy Benson, your host, broadcasting live from Texas. Glad to have you along, eager to get to my next guest in just a moment. But first, a Fox News alert. Good day on Wall Street. The Dow finishes up in the green, 278 points up, as a matter of fact, closing at 35,117. We just saw this come across from our team at Fox. Every single federal lawmaker from New York, every member of Congress, and the U.S. Senate from New York is calling on Governor Cuomo to resign. Some of them had held off in the past. Almost all of them had been calling on this resignation and calling for it to happen for a while. Of course, that's fallen on deaf ears. Now nearly 70% of state lawmakers in New York are calling on Cuomo to resign. Will it matter? Will he listen to any of them, including these members of his own party? Will that chorus include... Soon, the president of the United States, my prediction is yes. I, at this point, I'd be shocked if Joe Biden does anything other than echo that call to oust a man that he showcased at his convention last summer, knowing a lot of bad stuff about Cuomo at the time, including the nursing home cover-up. That was already being reported. The AP and elsewhere, the Democrats in the Biden campaign campaign, moved forward, and highlighted Cuomo in prime time as an exemplar of COVID leadership. So Joe Biden might finally get around to this. A little slow on the uptake if that's the case. And again, that's my prediction. We're awaiting those remarks from Biden at the White House. And joining me now to react to everything that has happened today and what might still come down the pike is our colleague and friend Janice Dean senior meteorologist at Fox News and New York Times bestselling author, her most recent book, Make Your Own Sunshine. And Janice, I was thinking of you, of course, today as I watched the attorney general in New York come out and lower the boom on Governor Cuomo, not on the issue that you care most personally about, but on the sexual harassment allegations from multiple women corroborating and affirming their stories Welcome back to the show, first of all, and just broadly speaking, broad strokes, what is your reaction to today's developments?
5: Grateful, grateful to the women who were brave enough to stand up to a monster, um, many of them young women, um, and to see their strength and bravery, um, even in the, you know, the face of this awful, awful man. I mean, after when he came out with his response, his taped response with all of those pictures of, you know, uh, young and old people. He's he's kissed before politicians, including Bill Clinton, which I had to have a laugh about, you know, putting Clinton and and Cuomo on the same photo kissing each other was quite something. But You know, he still to this day denies and blames and plays the victim guy. Just disgusting. So what that tells me is he's not going to leave. Um, It doesn't matter how many Democratic lawmakers ask for him to go. He's going to sit on his throne of lies until he's kicked out.
2: Either by the legislature, or by voters. And this is the thing for me, Janice, we can go back to some of his really borderline sociopathic statements in that video that he had, his rebuttal video. But as I see these statements getting released, particularly from Democrats in New York, it's one thing to say Andrew Cuomo must resign, right? He's unworthy of Mm -hmm. the office, whatever, right? Most of them have already said that. To no effect whatsoever. They know that. He knows that. For me, the word I'm looking for is impeachment. If they're actually serious at this point, because a lot of them said, oh, we have to we have to wait. We have to see what Leticia James is going to do. Let's you know, let's withhold judgment. And okay, now we have at least on the sexual harassment stuff, we've got an answer from this investigation If they're not talking about taking proactive steps within their authority to remove someone that they are saying must go, then the statements to me basically mean nothing.
5: Yeah. I've heard from people, several people that know him well, that the only advice he will take is from President Biden. So if President Biden gives him a phone call and says, hey, man, probably a good time for you to resign. Then maybe he'll consider it, but I think even a phone call from the president isn't going to do it.
2: No. I mean the the next step that I keep waiting for, I'm not sure if Cuomo has it in his DNA to resign. No matter you know, no matter how terrible he looks, no matter how disgraced the situation has become in terms of his reputation, his conduct, and all of it, to basically admit fault and to resign, I just don't see that from him. I mean, maybe there's some possibility. I think it's either going to be the legislature impeaching or the people throwing him out. And I've floated this before, and maybe I can get your reaction, because we've talked about this. I feel like the middle ground and again this is I'm not predicting this. I am predicting that Biden's going to call for him to go later today. I'm not predicting that this is what Cuomo is going to do, but as I think about the type of person he is and just looking at the the denial, the shamelessness, yeah. the victimhood, the deflection. I mean, what he was doing it was it was quite a performance but very on brand for him today. If he wants to deny all the people calling for him to Resign and and not cave to them because of his pride. If he also doesn't want to risk getting embarrassed and thrown out on his rear end by voters, and if he wants to basically signal to the legislature, back off, it's not worth it anymore, I think the middle ground solution that he might reach is hide behind all the trauma this has been for him and his family and announce that he's Uh, not going to seek a fourth term. Oh, right, because that's sort of. that sort of yeah. defangs a lot of the stuff, and he's able to go out and sort of blame other people for it without ever facing the music truly. And then he'd say, why are we going to proceed with you know some of this other stuff? I'm not going to run. And I think that that might be the most elegant solution for him, for a very inelegant and awful person. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I He might just have a fighter mentality where he's saying, I think I can still win again and I'm going to try. I don't know that that seems possible to me.
5: I hate saying it because it's such a terrible word, but I think he is a psychopath. I just think he doesn't listen to anyone at all. And he's just flying by the seat of his pants. And he put that weird video together saying, this is what I do. I kiss people. This is my behavior. You know, this is what I did. My my dad taught me. I mean, in the face of these women who risk their livelihoods and their careers uh, to talk about such uncomfortable stuff and to have those women corroborated with. Uh, I mean, you just listen to the laundry list. It's And it's not about sexual harassment. It's about power. It's a pattern of behavior. That's what this guy is. He's so power hungry. He wants to be the most powerful guy in the room. So he wants to demean everybody else. Um, And and it's really something to see.
2: I'm going to read to you some tweets from our mutual friend, Megan Kelly. And this is just from the report put out by the attorney general and these independent investigators looking into these allegations. Governor Cuomo grabbed his assistant's breast under her blouse, Uh, felt up the stomach and back of a state trooper, a female, who was protecting him, asked her to help him find a girlfriend, quote, who can handle pain. He told a young aide that he was lonely and wanted to be touched. He kissed employees against their will on their lips. He squeezed the asses of many staffers, felt up the chest of a woman who met him on a rope line, retaliated against one by trying to ruin her reputation. The attorney general report saying that he denied some but not all of this, quote, we found the governor's denials to be contrived. So the report kind of speaks for itself. There was, in fact, a medical professional who tested him for COVID, who I guess he sexually harassed like saying that she she looked hot in her gown and made some sexual comments and jokes during getting a nasal swab during covid i mean it's it it's sort of like cartoonish in some ways that's it, it all is. out there in the report we saw his response he's saying there was some misunderstanding, so there was some gaslighting going on. There was some conflation saying, oh, look, I touch people's faces. I kiss people's foreheads. That's not what people are objecting to here, and he knows it. And then there was also just the denial and accusing some of these women of just lying and saying, you know, they're they're sullying true victims. We're really the true victims. I've got a loved one who was sexually assaulted. I mean, he played every card he could think of and i think it was it came across as very cynical contrived to use their word and part of the problem in terms of his credibility janice is that the man has lied so much about so many things except for his hardcore sycophants i don't know who believes any of it anymore
5: i agree i actually think that video his response hurt him uh Tremendously, because, again, it just kind of put on display what we've known for months is that he blames everyone else uh, for his own behavior. And I always thought the sexual harassment was the thing that Democrats were going to get him on because it's him. He can't really blame it on anyone else. He's the guy in the room who did it, regardless of what he comes up with. Right. His hands, uh,
2: his mouth. Right, his exactly. words.
5: That's right. You know, the nursing home stuff obviously is more corrupt uh, and involves a lot more players. Uh, and I think, and death. You know, uh, and death, thousands of deaths. My God! I. But I've always said I, I don't care at this point, and you and I have both said we don't care at this point what they get him on. Uh, I, I do hope for justice. For, you know, my in-laws and the thousands of seniors that have died. And by the way, Letitia James did say that those investigations are ongoing. Yes. Um, But I don't know. Uh, I just think for them, it's like the Al Capone thing. They get them on tax evasion. Not the really, really bad stuff. And that's what I think is happening here.
2: Yeah. And are you confident that she's going to continue pursuing? Because she's already put out some reports that were quite damning on the nursing homes Matter, And, you know, the manipulation of the numbers, the hiding of numbers, one of his top aides admitted it. Of course you remember that, admitted to fellow Democrats, oh, yeah, we were withholding stuff and data from, you know, from investigators for political reasons. We know that they covered up his decision. Uh, They changed the way that they counted deaths. I mean, the list goes on and on. Favorable special treatment for his family and connected friends. State resources allegedly being used toward this book deal. And, you know, the cover-up that fueled the book deal to make as much money as possible to sort of spread this self-aggrandizing lie. It's just one thing after another. I know you don't care what ultimately brings him down, but it is pretty staggering that it could be, yes, some very serious, you know, some very serious allegations from a lot of women about, you know, the way he treated subordinates and sexual harassment. On the scale of moral culpability and and true corruption – I think we're in agreement that the nursing home scandal is more significant. But I feel like politically, the Democrats writ large can't really admit that for partisan political reasons. So this might be where they land. Last word, Janice, your thoughts today and and where we go from here.
5: Good question. Um, I felt like today was, you know, small victories. and, And I'm so proud of those women that stood up. We'll see what happens in the next 24 hours. You know, we'll see if the president speaks up. And we'll see if Albany lawmakers grow a spine.
2: Yep. Because all the little press releases with the word resign, that amounts to a hill of beans.
5: Nothing. Exactly. Nothing. Impeach, if, impeach, impeach.
2: Right. If you're not willing to actually move and exercise your authority, if you believe he shouldn't be in the job anymore because of some grave series of uh, you know, misconduct and misbehavior, you can say a few things and walk away, or you can do something, and we'll see which path they take. Because in many cases, they have taken the path of least resistance so far, whether today becomes a game-changer is an open question. That's a question mark for now. We'll be watching carefully and checking in, as we do, with Janice Dean as these developments continue. Janice Dean, our colleague and friend, a good day for you, a good day for New York, a bad day for Andrew Cuomo, and we're very glad to have you here on the show. Thank you, my friend, for everything. You bet. It's the Guy Benson Show, and we'll be right back.
1: The Guy Benson Show. More next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com.
2: We are back here on The Guy Benson Show. Very pleased to have you along. And I'm looking at my screen. Is this is this Biden speaking now? I was looking for some guidance here. No, he's going to speak any moment. We'll just monitor that. He's going to talk about COVID. My guess he's going to call on Cuomo to resign. And if he does anything other than that, we'll let you know. In the meantime, since we're talking about Cuomo, we're talking about controversial blue state governors. We mentioned yesterday in passing The recall election coming up in September. So, like, really a hop, skip, and a jump away. We're getting very close to that recall election out in California for Governor Gavin Newsom. He's not having a great week. There's another poll that's come in showing a very close race on recall within two points. So that's a dead heat. And this is now a pattern. It's a trend that the race is tightening. And what apparently is starting to become clear in some of the public opinion polling and folks on the ground, they are truly seeing and sensing that crime is becoming a very big issue in the minds of Californians. And of course, crime is definitely spinning out of control in a lot of places. Public safety has deteriorated markedly. And Governor Newsom is presiding over all of it. So if this aligns, right? If the stars align with general dissatisfaction with him, COVID restrictions and hypocrisy, plus anger about crime with a motivated pro-recall contingent, you never know. Even in a very blue Democratic place like California, it is possible. Of course, you need some credible people running and giving credible messages making the case against Newsom. And it's not even so much about making a huge case for themselves, because it's a very splintered field, and the person with the most votes, even if it's with a small number, you know, 20% or something, the, the leader of that pack, if the California electorate decides on the first question, yes, he should be recalled, he needs to go, then the winner's going to be the winner. We were talking about Caitlyn Jenner, how she's not really running a serious campaign at all, it seems. Others are. And again, this seems to be there could be this inside straight discontent crime an election rapidly approaching with the polls getting closer. Keep an eye on the left coast of California as New York dominates the headlines today on The Guy Benson Show.
1: Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America is listening to Fox News. The Guy Benson Show.
2: We're back. It's The Guy Benson Show. I wanted to follow up on a story that we covered yesterday involving Governor Ron DeSantis, down in Florida and his critics. We talked about Randy Weingarten from the teachers' unions. We talked about Chris Cuomo, brother of Andrew Cuomo, in the news today. Actually, Chris is, too. Seems like Chris was drafting statements on behalf of his brother to downplay the Me Too allegations. So that's a good look for that news anchor who is lecturing other people about COVID, which is amazing. His last name is Cuomo. Is he aware of that? Chris, your last name is Cuomo. Cuomo. You're talking about the governor of Florida, whose outcomes have been much better than New York's? I mean, you're the guy, Chris, who broke your quarantine while symptomatic and lied about it. And then staged a made-for-TV re-emergence that was a lie. It was made up. It was fiction. And that aired on CNN. You also reportedly got cited for not wearing your mask in your apartment building on multiple occasions. So, again, I feel like, I mean, at some point you might just take the L and decide not to wag your finger at other people about COVID stuff. If that's the person that you are and that's what you and your family have done. But it seems like a sense of self-awareness or shame does not run in that family. In any case, the war, the political battle, heated up again with DeSantis, this time the White House taking shots. I mean, it is so obvious, you guys, how much they fear the governor of Florida as a political actor, right? It has been all hands on deck for a year and a half to try to take him out. They're furious that he won in the first place in defiance of the polls. They're furious that he was successful and built a huge approval rating before covid They're furious that they thought COVID was their chance to kill him politically. And actually, it turned out that it strengthened him because he made a lot of good, controversial, but correct decisions. And that he outperformed a lot of their own heroes on actual metrics. So now it's a new wave and a new chance to get Ron DeSantis in the White House doing what it can. Because who knows if Ron DeSantis might be someone facing Joe Biden in a few years or Kamala Harris. So here's what Jen Saki had to say yesterday, taking shots at DeSantis. heres circle back, quote, "There are steps and precautions that can be taken, including encouraging people to get vaccinated, encouraging people to wear masks, including allowing schools to mandate masks and allowing kids to wear masks, which is not the current state of play in Florida. So you know, at a certain point leaders are going to have to choose whether they're going to follow public health guidelines or whether they're going to follow, politics so they're accusing DeSantis of playing politics with COVID now it is true that there's a big outbreak in Florida and many other places but Florida right now is the worst a lot of cases the Delta variant is very contagious we know that hospitalizations are up these are concerns I'm not downplaying them as I said yesterday though and I will repeat the number one thing that can be done in the broad sweep of this pandemic at this stage is to get as many people vaccinated as possible, as opposed to mandating questionable edicts and requirements and restrictions upon people, including vaccinated people. I think that misses the point, especially when it comes to kids and masks. And I find it interesting that the very first thing, That Saki says in that laundry list of things that ought to be done in Florida. These steps and precautions that can be taken. Number one, she says, is encouraging people to get vaccinated. Ron DeSantis has done that over and over again. He's gone on television, national television, presiding over senior citizens, getting their shots in their arms celebrating the milestones. He got vaccinated himself. He has communicated, I think, very clearly and strongly about the vaccine, speaking to people's concerns, treating them like adults. He's doing that. The most important thing that can be done, he's doing. And circle back is like, hey, here's the first thing you should do. It's something he's already doing. And to pretend otherwise is absurd. And by the way, DeSantis made the point today about some of the hysteria in the press. He says the situation in Florida is not as bad now as it was last year because the state prioritized older residents for vaccination and therefore the senior mortality rate among the most vulnerable has dropped. That is obviously true. Florida's decision and DeSantis' decision to prioritize the elderly for vaccination was 100% correct. And it is having a great effect and paying major dividends in the form of lives not being lost right now because of that decision. So then Saki goes through and says, well, another thing is you should encourage people to wear masks. Well, I think it depends on the situation. And there's a difference between encouraging people in certain situations to wear masks versus mandating it at all times, including vaccinated people who are asymptomatic. I don't think that that makes sense. She says you should allow schools to mandate masks and allow kids to wear masks, which is not the current state of play in Florida. Actually, DeSantis is not banning masks in school, which is what you might take away from that comment from Saki. What he's doing is saying parents get to choose what their kids do or do not do in terms of wearing a mask. Not banned. There's no requirement not to wear masks in schools. It is the parents who are being tasked with making that call for their own family it's their freedom to make that call for their kids that is different than not allowing kids to wear masks which is the allegation at the White House podium not true I mean if you're going to accuse someone of playing politics on this stuff you might as well I mean if you're going to accuse someone of playing politics on this stuff at the very least you should get their own policies and statements correct and not misrepresent them. Another question that I would love to have answered on this front, because DeSantis has held scientific roundtables with leading experts and other stakeholders, students, parents, liaisons, advisors, people on these councils thinking through these decisions, but it's led by top scientific and medical experts. And I mentioned yesterday, for example, a top professor at the medical school at Stanford was talking about the body of data on kids and masks, which is at best questionable. And we talked about a Harvard medical professor who had challenged Dr. Fauci indirectly, but you know, went online and was challenging Dr. Fauci's science on requiring you know three-year-olds to wear masks. The data is at best questionable questionable, based on a lot of the studies that were delved into in depth by some of these experts that DeSantis speaks to on a regular basis. And DeSantis in his office, they tweet their quotes in the videos to show, you know, we're not just making this up, right? So I would love some pushback from the media. I mean, forget it, right? Keep dreaming. The media is aligned with the White House, against Republicans, against Ron DeSantis. The idea that you're going to get journalists really pressing on these questions for details, I mean, look, I'm not naive. Maybe once in a blue moon you'll get lucky and someone will be in a mood on a certain day and ask a tough question. I'm not expecting an interrogation here. But even if you don't want to get into the weeds on, you know, the study at a Brown University that DeSantis likes to cite or what this Stanford or Harvard professor is saying about children and masks and the efficacy of that as a public health precaution, I think a much simpler, much cleaner Question is something along these lines. Like, you know, you raise your hand, circle back calls on you. Thanks, Jen. You're criticizing Governor DeSantis and Florida on not requiring young children to wear masks in schools in the fall. And I will just set aside, by the way, personally, the fact that Santis got the big question right last year in terms of keeping schools open which was a stellar, blowing success. Many people were saying that is a huge mistake. It's anti-science. He's going to kill a bunch of people. None of that was borne out by the truth and the data. It exposed a lot of the rest of the country and the teachers' unions and these bureaucrats as having been wrong and inflicted totally needless harm on children across the country. So, like, I guess you're never going to give credit to a guy like DeSantis on a huge, tough Big important call getting it right while well, a lot of these same people were wrong, right? That f- forget it, right? You, you, he doesn't bank any credit with people who are not intellectually honest or interested, frankly, in things other than politics, right? You just have to deal with what's directly in front of you, okay? So, my little aside is over back to the question for Jen Psaki. You're critical, and the White House is critical of Governor DeSantis in Florida and not requiring masks, making them optional and up to parents. Does the president believe that the government of the United Kingdom is being reckless and anti-science by not requiring masks in their schools that have been open? Because they say, based on a massive amount of their data, it is not scientifically necessary, and therefore they have had a non-mask requirement in their schools in Great Britain. And there have not been the types of outbreaks and disasters, health-wise, to children or anyone else as a result of that decision, does the president believe that that is recklessly anti-science, what the UK government is doing, which seems awfully similar to what they're doing in Florida, and if the answer is yes, if the official position of the Biden White House is that the UK government has done something that is terrible and dangerous and anti-science and putting lives at risk, can you cite data that proves it? that refutes the data that the UK built their decision upon? And can you refute the data that the UK government has shown that they say vindicates their decision because open schools without masking has been just fine over there? I would love to hear that question asked, and I would love to get a specific answer. I'm not sure that she is really equipped to give a specific answer, and that's not a shot at Jen Psaki. I mean, for all the faults of some of the messaging, and I think that Donald Trump, the president, caused a lot of his own problems at some of those press conferences and his tone and the way that he comported himself, and I think it turned a lot of people off. You can agree or disagree with that. But during a lot of those COVID press conferences, almost all of them at the White House during the pandemic, and they keep saying it's not over, we're in the heat of this pandemic, we've got this huge wave happening right now. What was a regular feature, if not daily, at those briefings when they occurred doctors right fauci was there burks was there the cdc guy was there there were top experts who would field some of the technical questions on data and so forth that doesn't really happen at these white house events so the ability to sort of get concrete in the weeds scientific answers it's much less direct. It's much less streamlined. With all due respect to Jen Saki or her staff, I think with a public health emergency still ongoing, that they tell us merits masking for vaccinated people, it would be nice to have the doctors right there flanking Saki who can take the technical questions. Let me take this one. And then people can really ask them specific questions but that's not the direction the biden white house has chosen to go i think that we are less informed and the decisions are less accountable because of it but that's a a pretty simple question the uk government looked at all their data they itch over in the uk for restrictions and mandates and bossing people around it's what the government does it's a heavily centralized government that likes to micromanage people's lives right very officious that's just part of their culture. And I love the UK, I'm an Anglophile, but let's just be real. They looked at all their data and came to the conclusion, no, we are not going to do this mandate. We are not going to have closed schools. We are not going to have masked children. It has worked incredibly well. But Ron DeSantis doing the same thing and leaving those mask choices up to parents in schools apparently is playing politics. How does that follow? How can that claim, how can that attack be supported. Last point, it's the response from Team DeSantis to the White House. Firing back, quote, By dismissively ignoring Governor DeSantis's effort to protect vulnerable Floridians, Saki is the one playing politics with the pandemic. This is from the press secretary for Governor DeSantis. Quote, The White House should be more concerned about the flip-flopping of the CDC, which is inadvertently promoting vaccine hesitancy with their confusing, contradictory public communications. Stating that vaccinated people should wear masks and socially distance is implying that the vaccines do not change anything, which is the wrong message for our federal government to be promoting. End quote. Hard to argue with that. That is a pointed, sharp rebuttal from Team DeSantis. And I can't imagine that DeSantis is too upset about this juxtaposition. If he's going to get into a battle... And the people on the other side are Jen Psaki, Randy Weingarten, and Chris Cuomo. I think you got to like his chances in that debate. All right, we'll take a quick break. It's the Guy Benson Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
1: Guy Benson will be right back. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to
2: foxnewspodcasts.com
1: for all the details.
2: We are back here on The Guy Benson Show. Thanks for tuning in. Let's bring you a Fox News alert. President Biden taking questions now after delivering some short remarks about COVID and the next steps forward in the battle against the Delta variant wave. Journalists are asking him questions. The first question was about Governor Cuomo in New York. We were waiting on something from President Biden. It seemed like the White House did not want to get out in front of him on some news. I predicted that he was going to call on Cuomo Cuomo to resign. Let's listen to what happened.
0: Back in March, you said that if the investigation confirmed the allegations against Governor Cuomo, then he should resign. So will you now call on him to resign, given the investigator said the 11 women were credible?
6: I stand by that statement.
0: Are you now calling on him to resign? Yes. And if he doesn't resign, do you believe he should be impeached and removed from office?
6: Let's take one thing at a time here. I think he should resign. I understand that the state legislature may decide to impeach. I don't know that for a fact. I've not read all
2: that data. I'm not really sure if there's data to be seen there. And there would be leadership potentially from the president if he were to call for that. So he stopped short on the impeachment question. That was a good follow-up, by the way, to my point earlier with Janice Dean. Saying, yes, he should resign is one thing. He has shown a very eager willingness to ignore any of that from everyone, although not yet from the president. So that is new. But then the follow up, the next question, obviously, is if he refuses, as is likely, as is promised. Then would you support or endorse the Democrat control? This is your party, Mr. President, the Democrat controlled legislature in New York to move forward with impeachment. And he wouldn't commit on that. He said he hasn't seen the data. Let's take one thing at a time. But the news there, as I anticipated and shared with you earlier, President Biden calling officially for the first time on Governor Andrew Cuomo, Democrat of New York, to resign following today's press conference and the revelation of the report after all these 179 witnesses, 11 accusers. And it's just so untenable within the Democratic coalition right now. The politics don't work anymore. They can't protect him. So Biden has done what virtually everyone else in the party has done, saying Cuomo's got to go. But does he have to go? That's the big question. We'll see what Cuomo does next. His move. It's the Guy Benson Show. Another hour straight ahead. A texas happy hour. On the Guy Benson Show, I'm Guy Benson. Glad to have you all on board. On this Tuesday, we air from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. The podcast is always free, on demand, no charge to you, seven days a week, including Bonus Benson on the weekends. We encourage you to check that out should you miss any part of the show. And we had a monster month on the podcast in July, so we're pretty excited about that. GuyBensonShow.com is our website and the happy hour sponsored by the finnish long drink which is huge down here in texas and it's expanding across the nation you can find out where it's sold near you or order online at their website thelongdrink.com it is a crisp and delicious citrus soda with a premium liquor kick 21 plus only always drink responsibly thelongdrink.com with me now as we kick off our final hour carol markowitz columnist at the new york post And Carol, one of your columns this week really got a lot of traction about kids and masking and schools. It seems like we're almost in this holding pattern, some Groundhog Day type of feelings and vibes (laughs) here with this pandemic. Good to have you back.
4: Thank you so much for having me. I feel like we easily had this conversation a year ago.
2: (laughs) Oh, I mean, 100 percent. (laughs) Some things have changed. Some things Mm -hmm. have not. And so the headline in your August 1st New York Post column is masking kids Mm -hmm. and closing schools is irrational, unscientific child abuse. And that word abuse, I've used that a few times in recent months, Mm -hmm. especially involving keeping kids out of school. What's your response as you just describe your overall thesis Mm -hmm. here in the column? I think the headline kind of speaks for itself. What's your (laughs) response to people who say it's not a big deal for kids to be wearing masks? It's... Whether it works well or not, it's a very Mm -hmm. minor inconvenience. What do you say to that?
4: So it's interesting because I I don't understand how anybody who has ever had any access to children can think that it's a minor inconvenience. Kids are very difficult to understand at the best of times. I have an 11, 8, 5-year-old. My 5-year-old just completed kindergarten in a year of masking. And I know that so many kids his age, uh, including him, are behind academically because they could not get the full understanding of what was going on because everybody was masked. And they're also just super difficult to understand themselves. So, you know, you have a child who maybe doesn't have great verbal skills yet, and they're masked as we mask kids starting at two, which is insane. Um, and they become even harder to understand. And they get a lot of, what, what, what did you say? And that that's extremely frustrating for a kid, and they end up shutting down. And I, I just, it's baffling to me that people who have been around kids are not aware of the absolute problem of not being able to understand a child and them not being able to understand you and how much of an effect it can have on development.
2: Yeah, and the thing is, the younger the kid, mm-hmm. this is just like easy math, the younger the kid, the yeah. bigger percentage of their life has been spent in this covid hell. So, right. if and a the young child is yeah, right. Sorry. Exactly. No, mm-hmm. both of those things. So you've got yeah. kids living through this very unusual time. We don't know what the long-term effects are going to be on them in terms of all these externalities like mask wearing and social distancing and remote right. learning and what have you. Mm-hmm. And this is really warping their reality and their sense of what's real in crucially important formative years. And to just wave that all away and blow it off as really not significant, I think could be a big mistake. And then that's the other point. You mentioned the risk, right? We know Mm -hmm. that yes, kids can get infected with COVID. Many of them have, but their severe outcomes have been infinitesimal, small, almost non-existent. We know that deaths from COVID among kids are Mm -hmm. statistically virtually zero, which again, every time I say that, the tiny, microscopic handful of exceptions I mean all the stats in the world don't bring those kids back or add any comfort to those families but we also have to have rational conversations about what we do for millions and tens of millions of people not based on a tiny number of cases because as our friend Mary Catherine Ham says if this is what we were going to do and take this other mentality we would ban swimming pools for the safety of children we would ban cars right and on and on it goes so Absolutely. you've got you've got the very, 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 very low risk for children, and yet we have a lot of the experts saying masking for kids as young as three and up every day in classrooms. Carol, there's another quote that I saw today from the mm-hmm. NIH director.
0: And oh again, my God, I'm, yes.
2: <laughs> I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not posing mm-hmm. as some expert. But mm-hmm. The other day when this first started sort of uh, circulating, I wondered if people were taking something out of context or reading right. into something too far. No. As it turns out, the director of the NIH went on CNN and said explicitly that parents of young children who are not vaccinated, those parents, even if vaccinated, should be wearing masks inside their mm-hmm. home. And right. Carol, I mean, I, I'm, I'm speechless. I mean, we didn't I even know. consider doing that during the worst of the pandemic when there right. were no vaccines. And now they're actually trying to tell us if you've got a six-year-old who's not mm-hmm. vaccinated and you're a vaccinated adult, you need to be massing up inside your house. I feel like right. that is the type of guidance that is credibility-crushing. It it just it
4: makes no sense. And it's so deeply stupid that I think you're right. It, It really makes people trust our institutions, our government and each other less than ever before, um, you know, it's so funny that, you know, the idea, again, is that I think it's somebody who has never seen a kid. Like, okay, let's say I'll mask in front of my kids. Fine. I'll, I'm willing to do something insane, like mask inside my own house, assuming my child is also masking. So are we never like snuggling or kissing? Because my eight-year-old and my five-year-old were literally on top of me this morning, like showering me with kisses. We're doing that through masks now, right? Because that's normal. And that's like not going to mess up the kids' development at all, that they're kissing their parents through a mask, um, I, I think it's really scary how little they seem to know about children. Like, do they not know that kids are need affection and need love and need, you know, physical interaction with their parents? I, is that really news to these people?
2: Right. You got, what, a, like a few hundred children who died with COVID, not even necessarily mm-hmm. of COVID, yeah. over the course of an entire pandemic in a country of 75 million plus kids under the age of 18. And with that being the data... And again, I'll repeat, in the UK where they love restrictions, their data showed them that they don't need masks on in schools, so they have not required masks Mm -hmm. in schools, and they have been just fine over there. And here we have Francis Collins, the NIH director, going on national TV and saying, if you have a young child, three, four, five who mm-hmm. isn't vaccinated, obviously, but you are and you're a parent, you've got a mask up in your own house. He said, it may sound weird. That was part of his quote. Yes, it does. <laughs> it sounds beyond yeah. weird. It sounds absolutely insane. And it bears bonkers. no relation yeah. to even the traumatic experience that so many of us have had over the last year mm-hmm. and a half. That's like next level bonkers.
4: Right. Yeah. And That that's the whole thing with the kids not masking in schools in, in a lot of places in Europe. We have data. We have data that we can look at and say, look, here are what they did in their schools and they didn't mask and here were the results. Yet we're not doing that. I think we hear so little about what's going on in other places. Um, again, I, I talk a lot about that we lived in Florida for almost five months, and all my kids played sports with no masks. Meanwhile, all their friends in Brooklyn were playing sports masks. It didn't matter if it was, a, you know, a softball player and a pitcher's mound, not near anybody, that person had to be masked. And it was just we continued to do crazy things while people did saner things in other places, and we didn't learn anything from them.
2: Oh, and and you've got, I mean, just to juxtapose, you've got the mayor of Washington, D.C., who throws this mask mandate back into the Mm -hmm, ether. mm -hmm. And she's like, all right, everyone, attention, plebeians, it is time for you to spring into action (laughs) and respond to my edicts. And you are to wear masks indoors, even if you're fully vaccinated. And then she's sitting Mm -hmm. there at a wedding. Unmasked, And they're trying to pretend like it's out of context. It's not at all. There are photographs. Apparently there's video as well. Mm -hmm. She's not following this stuff. And yet the director of a top medical institution goes on the air the next day after this all blows Mm -hmm. up, also in Washington, D.C., and says, actually, the mask needs to be worn in your house, too, if you're around kids. I mean, it's just no almost nobody is going to pay attention to that or take that seriously, except for a neurotic fringe. That's that's my view of it right now. Carol, I have yeah. to ask you, since you're a New Yorker, and we've talked about mm-hmm. your flirtations with Florida, you spent a lot of time down there, <laughs> you prefer uh-huh. it in a lot of ways, but you do love New York on, on a significant level as well. Yeah. We now have the guidance from the mayor, Bill mm-hmm. de Blasio, talking about vaccine mandates at businesses. Now, look. Yeah. I don't love government mandates. I strongly support the vaccine for all sorts of reasons that I've explained ad nauseum. There are Mm -hmm. many circumstances under which vaccines are required for certain things in our society, like going to school, going to college. Mm -hmm. I mean, these have not been seen as egregious violations of our freedom in the past. I understand how there are different sides to this argument and the proper role of government there's multiple layers Mm -hmm. to it one thing that i'm curious about aside from your overall reaction to this new policy in new york city a lot of people in new york city are not vaccinated i mean i've been looking at the stats Mm -hmm. it looks like only pluralities of white people and hispanics are vaccinated in new york city unless that data is wrong and black new yorkers are lagging significantly behind only over a third is the number that i saw Of black New Yorkers have gotten at least their first shot. If you're going to start requiring basically a vaccine passport Mm -hmm. to engage in life, everyday life in New York City, there could be some, to use their buzzwords, there could be some equity problems here, right, in terms of the implementation of this and the way that this plays out. And I wonder what you make of that.
4: Yeah, that's 100% right. And it's funny because this is where, you know, the equity meets their love of control. And, you know, which one will win, we'll have to see. Uh, it's. I also have been vaccinated. I've written about uh, being pro-vaccine uh, several times. Uh, I, I absolutely think people should go get vaccinated. I think they should talk to their doctor. Um, and What's really funny about this new policy that I am not really haven't seen anybody mention, and I think I'm going to have a column on it tomorrow in the New York Post, is it excludes kids from these public spaces. Uh, the Met Opera had already announced that they were not going to allow kids under 12. Several restaurants have mentioned that they're not going to allow kids indoors under 12 because there's no vaccine for them. And now with this new policy, it appears that they just hadn't considered kids at all. They are not going to allow kids in, in all of these indoor cultural institutions and concerts and whatever. Um, and it just, it, you know, you, you, you mentioned that I, I have this flirtation with Florida because I, to me, Florida would never do something like this. They would never forget that there are kids living in their state who haven't been vaccinated and they won't be able to go to museums and uh, et cetera. And I, I just, I have no faith in New York anymore because they put kids last in this way. And I don't think a vaccine passport for anybody is appropriate, honestly. I, you don't know what somebody's, uh, health situation is. Some people are, cannot take the vaccine. We had the the drummer from Offspring the other day had a long tweet thread about how his doctor told him he cannot take the vaccine. So what is that person supposed to do? Have an argument yeah, like with a, the bouncer like or with the dirty person every time? Everywhere
2: you go. Yeah, I mean there's yeah, there are. Exactly. It is a little bit more complex. Even if you're not as viscerally opposed to the idea of it, and I'm not totally mm-hmm. opposed to the idea and certain implementation of it there are very thorny questions and complications like several of the ones that we've just mentioned i mean so in new york state i'm looking up the data right now new york state it's just over 35 percent of black new yorkers have been vaccinated are you going to shut two-thirds roughly two-thirds of black new yorkers out of everyday life and various activities indoors
4: at restaurants or going to any cultural events that's ridiculous
2: How does that exactly fly with the Mm -hmm. equity proposition that has been uh, such an urgent concern for a lot of the same people who are going to endorse this idea? I think that's going to be really fascinating. Carol, last question, very briefly, your reaction today to Governor Cuomo.
4: Well, I think it's time for him to go. I think it's long, long past time for him to go. Uh, I think he should have been, he should have resigned or been removed after the nursing home fiasco where he reintroduced COVID positive patients into nursing homes and killed 12,000 seniors. Uh, But if it's this that gets him out of office and gets the corruption away from the New York governor's mansion, I'll take it.
2: Carol Markowitz, columnist at the New York Post, our guest here on the Guy Benson Show. Always thank I feel I feel <laughs> great, so but much. I kind of test negative. Thanks, Carol. And with that, <laughs> we'll be right back. It's the happy hour on the Guy Benson Show.
1: Energetic, informed,
2: fast-paced,
1: Guy Benson Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
2: We're back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Quick update on the Olympics. There was that... It half the hour here on The Guy Benson Show. And if you missed it yesterday, I revealed at the top of the show that I tested positive over the weekend for COVID, have been isolating ever since, and I feel good. I feel fine. I appreciate all the well wishes. I have gotten some questions from people in private messages, on Twitter. One of them is, Since you didn't really have severe symptoms at all, and since you're a healthy younger person, and since you're fully vaccinated, why on earth were you getting tested in the first place? Why are you testing for COVID? And I think that's a fair question. I am not a fan of asymptomatic testing, where you're just going around testing random people. I think that it should be a function of symptoms, rather than just, like, going fishing for cases, In my particular circumstance, I had an event coming up, and I mentioned this on the show yesterday, an event coming up Friday and Saturday with the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, and some of his supporters, and I knew that at least some of those supporters were going to be skewing on the older side, definitely conservative here in Texas, and some of them, odds are, were not going to be vaccinated. And just because I had heard from a few different people, Dr. Sapphire and Carl Rove's Business associate at the TV studio where I was on Friday afternoon, just examples of people who are vaccinated getting breakthrough cases and having extremely mild, cold-like symptoms. In my mind, I said, okay, I've actually been masking for the last day or two because I have a slight cough and some sniffles, and I didn't want to freak anyone out, so I wore a mask around other people. Is there a chance that a little bit of a runny nose and a tickle in the throat could actually fit the bill? That's when I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead. Because of these minor symptoms, I'm going to get a rapid test. And I did. And it was for the protection, not really for me, because I have got the vaccine and I was not feeling bad. It was the protection of other people. And it wasn't based on nothing. It was based on a few different factors. So that was the decision, the calculation that I made. And I'm glad that I did. Because then I didn't expose a bunch of people to... Potentially a significant viral load of COVID, right? So I feel good about that decision. The other thing people are saying, well, how, how do you know that your case is mild because of vaccine? Couldn't it have been mild without the vaccine as well? Because that's true for a lot of people who had this virus prior to the vaccines being available. That is true. There are people who had very mild cases of COVID, even asymptomatic, pre-vaccine. That is true. All I know is based on all my conversations on and off the air with doctors and based on the data, if you are fully vaccinated, your COVID breakthrough case, should you get one, relatively rare, is statistically much more likely to be more mild and shorter in duration than if you weren't vaccinated, right? That's the data. That's the medical science that has been quite consistent. So that's why I made the claim. It's not my claim. It's what the doctors tell me. So I can't 100% prove a counterfactual what my case would have felt like if I weren't vaccinated. But I will absolutely repeat, I am extremely glad that I am vaccinated because going through this has been kind of a cakewalk and could have been much worse and much more unpleasant. We will step aside, take a quick break. The happy hour resumes next.
1: The Cog Benson Show.
2: It is the happy hour here on the Guy Benson Show. Earlier in the program, we were joined by Congressman Chip Roy, representative for Texas's 21st Congressional District, right nearby. I'm here in Austin again on the program. We talked about immigration and some of the eye-popping numbers that emerged just yesterday about the border crisis. Here's my conversation with Representative Chip Roy. I want to talk about immigration because I've been following your tweets on this and I have to say, it's taking a lot to shock me at this point in terms of the border crisis and the failures down there of the Biden administration. But the numbers that you have revealed, preliminary July border numbers, they are astounding because we saw just steady growth month over month. You know, 180, 185,000 arrests at the southern border, not counting tens of thousands of gotaways. That was in May, that was in June. Now that we are in early August, the preliminary July numbers are in, and the encounters are now north of 200,000, 205,029 known gotaways, so detected illegal crossings that, you know, the manpower, the resources are not available to go and stop that person. The known gotaways in the month of July alone, 37,400. We're up to 1.3 million in the fiscal year encounters at the border. I mean, this is an extraordinary number, the largest monthly number since 2000. And, Congressman, I remember what, just a few weeks ago when the president said, oh, this is just seasonal, and when it gets hot, it's going to slow down. The opposite has happened, and yet the administration continues to refuse to even call this a crisis. I don't know what else could be demonstrated or shown to convince them at this point. Well, Guy, you're
6: exactly right. And and those numbers, uh, in fact, I heard earlier today that I think 210,000 is where it's probably settling out. Uh, I had some conversations with some of the guys who really know what's going on. Mark Morgan, the former head of Border Patrol under Trump, Tom Homan, the former head of ICE. And they are actually beside themselves. They've seen a lot of bad things. They've seen a lot of big numbers, and they can't for the life of them understand why this is not a bigger deal. Uh, you know, if you go back and you remember a couple of years ago when AOC and everybody was running down and screaming kids in cages, which was a lie, uh, and the drinking out of toilets allegation, which was a lie, and now they're nowhere to be found. When you have 7,000 immigrants in facilities that are designed to hold about 600 or 700, you have 100-degree heat You have cartels that we know are abusing these immigrants uh, in whatever numbers. I mean, we don't know for sure. I mean, we make up numbers based on what NGOs tell us. But we know for a fact at least a little girl is going to be put into the sex trafficking trade out of this large group of people that you see coming in in hordes under the bridge in McAllen. Then you find out that you've got massive amounts of fentanyl, 8,500 pounds of fentanyl, that has been actually intercepted, and then I have leftists say, oh, they're doing their job. Yeah, but when we see those kind of numbers, the experts know that that much more is coming in, especially when it's unguarded. And the fact that we know is that in Texas, last year we encountered DPS, our Texas you know, Department of Public Safety, our, our, our statewide uh, law enforcement. They intercepted about 10 pounds of fentanyl. This year they've already intercepted about 90 to 100 pounds of fentanyl. That means it's getting into our communities in Texas and we now see increased deaths, as you know, nationwide, 92,000 deaths. We could go on and on. The crisis is unbelievable guy it is so much worse than we even know than even i can tell and convey to you people in texas are they're over it they're done and that's that's the the mindset of people here you talk to people when you're in texas you'll see
2: i saw an associated press report this was yesterday according to u.s officials the number of unaccompanied children encountered by border authorities in the month of july likely quote hit an all-time high The most unaccompanied minors encountered at the border in one month ever was last month, the month of July, when it was supposed to be too hot out. It was going to be seasonal. It was going to slow down. That's not the case. And you're right. There were anguished photo shoots and preening press releases and press avails. My full chat with Chip Roy, Texas Congressman, available on our website, GuyBensonShow.com, also on the free podcast, the entire show every day on demand, free of charge. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcasts.com, and wherever you get your free podcasts. When we come back, the home stretch, another day of quarantine here in Texas, I had another delivery from friends and another special delivery, actually, from the governor's team. We'll talk about that with producer Christine. After this. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Home stretch on this Tuesday on the Guy Benson Show. If you're listening on the broadcast, I do believe this bumper song is Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy. And I wonder how long do I have to stay in Texas to qualify for potential cowboy status? I don't know. i probably have to learn how to ride a horse, shoot guns, I woefully underqualified, clearly. But I am in Texas, so there's that. Glad that you're listening. So, last night, got a phone call from producer Christine just to debrief and check in. And Christine, not to call you out, but by any chance, had you been perhaps indulging in some mama's juice last night when we spoke?
3: There could have been, you know, some mama's juice. Normally, that doesn't happen on a Monday night, Guy. But, I will say, after uh, I missed seven calls from you on Friday night, I had decided to lay off the hooch the rest of the weekend. So I was kind the of hooch, making yeah. up for it last night.
2: I see. Yeah. So you went You went Monday, you called me. And I'm. it was not by any stretch out of control. You just seemed to be feeling pretty good uh, in yeah, our conversation. I, okay, I, yeah. I,
3: I get... Yeah, I get a little happier, maybe a little louder. Bobby always says that. You can tell for some reason when cookies had some
2: juice. <laughs> and speaking of that, and Bobby, he was listening to the home stretch yesterday on his commute. And for those who didn't catch it yesterday, they can go back and listen on the free podcast, obviously, at guybensonshow.com. But we talked about the experiments I'd been doing in my hotel room of what I could smell, what I couldn't smell, what I could taste, what I couldn't taste, and. Uh, That experimentation has continued. We have some updates there. But we talked about how when I finally did get in touch with you to share the diagnosis, you immediately described yourself as, quote, a bottle in or a bottle deep, if I recall correctly. And Bobby had an interesting reaction to that, hearing that exchange on the air yesterday.
3: Yes, well, he was hearing all about your friends rushing to help you. And, you know, this one's calling and that one's concerned. And then you explain my part of the story <laughs> and he uh literally texted me and said, A oh, way to make your family proud, Cookie
2: <laughs> I mean. So, that's what I you, that's what I he did not doubt the veracity of it though, right? That clearly rang true to him as your husband.
3: No, yeah, one, no, one hundred percent. He didn't doubt the story. I and I didn't deny the story. Uh yeah, but no, yes, no, fact check true. He, he did say. He did say that it seems to be a pattern that whatever guy is in, like, situation, I am not around. But any other time, I'm ready to chat. So, Oh, yeah. Um, no, You, you
2: are ready to chat and <laughs> chat and chat when not needed at all times. And then in the very no. rare instances where there's something urgent that needs to be conveyed, uh, Cookies M.I.A. Cookie can't be found. And so that, this is why I actually have now saved Bobby's contact information in my phone so I can go straight to him. Because I think, you know, okay. he's sort of a responsible adult who would respond to things in a timely manner. So I do want to bring an update to the audience about the food tasting situation here. So I believe it is improving. right? That could be psychosomatic. It could be wishful thinking. It could be my brain and central nervous system playing tricks on me, but I don't believe that's true. I think it's improving. So I talked about my friends Josh and Lindsay yesterday, and they were very kind. Josh drove all the way up to where I was staying to drop off many different supplies, and food and Coke Zero and all this stuff, plus some actual medical stuff that Dr. Sapphire had recommended. And because this little prison sentence it's a pleasant Prison, but nevertheless has been extended because I keep testing positive. They very kindly said, Hey, do you need anything else? And so Lindsay, Josh's wife, by the way, Josh is a strong conservative, Lindsay, more left leaning, so this is a bipartisan effort in my convalescence, which I appreciate. She prepared two more meals for me, both of which have now been consumed. Last night, we were talking, Christine. We were on the phone together, and I was eating. It was flank steak, I believe, that was marinated. Then she had grilled bread. She had oh. bell peppers and homemade burrata. Mm. Yep. And then a homemade, what? really pungent and delicious chimichurri sauce. And yeah. I was tasting all of it. I was tasting all of it. It was delicious. I, of course, enjoyed it with an ice cold. Coke Zero Sugar, the new version that I still can't properly assess because my taste buds are not at peak performance, which they need to be for me to render a verdict on the new Coke Zero, of which I remain skeptical. But, I mean, so far, so good. So I had that. They had another whole Tupperware filled with fresh fruit. That all tastes normal. And then I was wondering what I might do for dessert, maybe some peanut m ms because I have some peanut m ms as well, that one of my other friends brought me. I I really have an all-hands-on-deck situation here, which is incredibly kind from everyone involved, and I'm very grateful. But you remember, Christine, we were talking on the phone, and then you could hear the room telephone ring, like the landline in the room. So I answered it, and it was... And you sort of seemed to recognize that I was on the phone with someone else, but you kept talking to me on the cell phone. I was like, Christine, I'm you heard the phone <laughs> ring. I am speaking to another individual. So I then had to hang up with you to go get a mysterious package that had been left for me at the desk. So I put on multiple masks, stayed away from everyone. He put the packages like on this front desk area, and I went over, took it, and then went on my merry way, came upstairs again, took off all my masks, and it was... A little care package from a place called Tiff's Treats, which apparently is very popular here in Austin because I posted some photos online and Austin residents were like, oh yeah, that's the good stuff. Tiff's Treats, it came with a pint of Bluebell vanilla ice cream and then a container with eight cookies. I guess this place specializes in cookies. Somehow they were still warm. I don't know how this was possible. It was that quick. And fresh of a delivery. And so, just as a matter of principle, I did, in fact, (laughs) open the box, open the ice cream. There was a little note. says, we love you, guy. Hope you can taste these. And it was from Team Abbott. So Governor Abbott's team did this, just as sort of like a little pick-me-up, which I appreciated, because I had gone for a run. What the doctors are telling me is, try to be outside, away from people as much as you can, breathing in not, you know, stale hotel air, but fresh air. So I went for a run, actually, in the rain, away from anyone. I mean, there was no one out. Last night I went up by the Capitol. I might do the same thing later. And so I said, okay, I've I've sort of earned a few sweet treats. So I had some of the ice cream. I could not eat the entire pint, and I don't have a freezer in the room, so I ate maybe a quarter of the pint, and it was really good. I could taste the vanilla. Then I had to say goodbye to the ice cream, which was sad. And then these cookies, I'm not a huge baked goods guy in general. These cookies were really good. The chocolate chip cookies were exactly the right kind of sort of chewy and gooey and warm. And I could, in fact, taste the chocolate, which was a taste I couldn't really discern the other day, which is good. And even with the underperforming palate, I was like, these are a problem. (laughs) These cookies, I had to force myself to stop. And you were, like, living vicariously through me as I described these cookies. You were, like, losing your mind on the phone. Tell me more. Send me photos. It was really good. It was extremely kind of the Abbott campaign. I saw. I tweeted about this with the photos. I saw one or two libs being like, oh, I see that they're bribing you. <laughs> People are so miserable, honestly. I call them as I see them no matter what. And if you think I can be bought by cookies, I mean, maybe my friend Dan, right, he... Dan Duva, my buddy who's a sports broadcaster, is such a fiend for baked goods. He might risk COVID to enter my room and have these cookies, right? That's the type of sweet tooth that he is. I am not that. If you want to do a better job of trying to bribe me for, I don't know, positive coverage or something, good luck. Because that's not how I operate. But it's going to be something other than cookies. Just, just FYI for people who might try and fail in the future i just i mean it's amazing what goes into people's heads like oh yeah he's quarantining with COVID, and the governor of the state and his office and his team sent him a few cookies to be nice normal kind human beings and some people are trying to figure out a way to make this a problem i i can't imagine living your life that way but enjoy anyway christine that's a lot about cookies i still have six of the eight remaining. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to finish them on my own. And I can't really share them. That's the thing. I can't share anything with anyone right now. So I'm just sort of doing triage. I have to prioritize the cookies that I like the best, definitely the chocolate chip ones. And then, I don't know, see what happens with the rest of them. Although, truth be told, I have no idea how many more days I'm going to be stuck here. I could be out of here tomorrow or, I don't know, three, four days. It's an indefinite sentence, so to speak which I guess it keeps me on my toes. There's that.
3: I am such a baked good fiend. This is why I was so excited. And also, the minute you told me you had Blue Bell ice cream, I went crazy because I hear about this ice cream all the time, and you cannot get it anywhere near us in the tri-state area. And I'm just dying to try it. So I guess I'll have to...
2: It was good. I mean, I, I, I feel the love. I feel the compassion. I heard from so many Fox colleagues and other colleagues and friends and family yesterday after I made the announcement, and I'm overwhelmed. I'm extremely grateful. Many of you have reached out in the audience. Thank you. Just making sure. Are you really okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Like, I hope you can hear it in my voice. I mean, I am I am not suffering, right? I had a mild cold for about two and a half days, and now I'm just in a, a holding pattern until i can test negative that's it i mean i'm i'm feeling good it is an extremely mild case which again statistically is much more likely when you've been fully vaccinated which i have also data showing shorter duration i would say the symptoms such as they were were two to three days as i mentioned and so yeah i understand covid is a scary thing and people want to check in and make sure everything's okay but prayers and well wishes and all of that of course are welcome but concerns and worry are unwarranted at this time, and I feel really good, right? So I'm, I'm grateful, and really right now, if you want to pray, if you want to hope, if you want to cross your fingers, Adam and I are supposed to go to two weddings of very close friends of his from college this coming weekend. Now, if I'm in the clear, I'm in the clear, and I've got all the antibodies, right? I'll be like the most safe person from covid within a square mile but i'm not going to be traveling unless i'm in the clear and so i would love to not send my husband on his own to these wedding celebrations i would love to accompany him and have a great time at these weddings and celebrate these couples but we shall see that has yet to be determined maybe i'll go for another run breathe in all that fresh air and then tests again this evening. That was the recommendation of Dr. Sapphire. So I'll give it a shot. Drum roll. We'll see. Back here tomorrow, one way or another, with all of you. Thank you for listening. Until then, have a great night.
6: Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some
1: of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.